You're listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. We're in a series this Easter tide called Practicing Resurrection. We're talking about those Christian practices, those sacred rhythms that Christians have engaged in for 2,000 years that God uses to form and shape us in Christ's likeness. This is the emphasis of the New Testament, by the way. The invitation, the gospel invitation that we are given in the New Testament is not just simply to punch our ticket for heaven when we die. Even though that promise is there, But the emphasis of the gospel announcement in the New Testament is right now, you're invited to enter into a new way of life. Life that will continue on in the age to come, but it begins now. It's it's cultivated in your life beginning now. So over and over again, we are called to be imitators of Jesus Christ. That's the only kind of Christian there is. That's the only kind of Christian there is, is one who's interested in imitating Jesus. How many of you are interested in imitating Jesus? Great. All right. Well, you got what it takes. You got to have an interest and a hunger before anything else. But that's what the Holy Spirit wants to produce in you. The Holy Spirit wants to produce the life of Christ. Christ is living his life through you. And that's a lifelong journey. But in order for that to happen, number one, the power of God does that. That's not something you generate by yourself. You cannot make yourself in the image of Christ. God transforms you in the image of Christ. However, we participate by engaging in practices that the Holy Spirit uses to transform us. Best illustration I can think of this week, and I've given this before, but I'm going to give it again because I think it works really well. Right now we're sitting in this room where we're enjoying lighting, sound. I, I, I don't have to scream at you. Um, air conditioning, as our weather's changing, that's going to become more important over the next two or three months. Um, Even tomorrow when we have our service streamed and we record our podcast, the power of electricity has transformed this moment. The power of electricity has truly transformed this context. But in order for us to benefit from the power of electricity, human beings had to build and assemble the electronic grid. Holes had to be planted in the ground. Holes had to be dug, poles had to be planted, wires had to be stretched, uh, transformers and conduits had to be put in place. There's an entire electronic grid, a structure that had to be put in place. And because that structure has been put in place and assembled by human beings, that's what enables the power of electricity to flow through that structure into this building and transform this moment on a constant basis. So both of those things are needed. In order for us to benefit from electricity, we need the power of electricity flowing through the grid, the structures that have been assembled. The power is not originated from within the structure, but the structure is what the power flows through, right? In the same way, the power of God is what transforms us in Christ-like character. But in order for us to benefit, in order for that power to flow into our life on a continual basis, I don't know about you, I don't want to get struck by lightning. I mean, that's exhilarating, but that's just a moment, and it'll probably kill me. What I want, though, 
is I want a structure that, that enables me to harness and, be, and benefit continually, constantly from the power of electricity. That's what we want. Well, what enables us to experience the power of God on a continual basis is, are these rhythms, these practices, this structure of Christian disciplines like prayer, like scripture, like communal worship. These are the practices that the Holy Spirit flows through that enables us over time to obey Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. You're not going to be able to do that by yourself. You need God's power, but you also have these practices that the power flows through. That makes sense, everybody? All right. I'm, I, just, I might have just wasted 10 minutes because you all just, you already know that. But I, I just feel like that's a good thing to keep before you. I want you to understand this is the goal of the Christian life. And this is, this is roughly how it happens and how it works. So what we're talking about each week of the series, it's a six-week series. We're talking about six of the practices that Christians have engaged in that enables us to live a transformed life. So, so far, we, we've talked about the practice of prayer. We've talked last week about the role of Scripture in shaping us. And this evening, I want us to talk about the practice of worship. Worship. Now, that's a big topic. There's all kinds of directions we can take this. We can talk about worship as the musical element of our service, which, man, I thought the band did a phenomenal job this evening. It was just an awesome job. Um, yeah, about half of them, half of them appreciated it then. Um, we can talk about worship as a surrendered lifestyle. I mean, there's different ways we can talk about it. But this evening in particular, I want to talk about the distinct Christian practice of venerating Sunday as a day of worship, recognizing that Sunday is a different day. We set it aside. And it becomes a particular day for Christians to gather together in worship. Now, the irony, of course, is that I'm preaching this on a Saturday night. So you'll just have to get over it. Uh, I'm not going to correct myself every time. So just pretend like it's Sunday morning. All right. Uh, our text, I want us to look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. And uh, John the Revelator, at the, near the very beginning of this letter, this prophetic apocalyptic letter he writes this in verse 10 of revelation 1 i was in the spirit on the lord's day and i heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet and john you know this is where it takes off and he's going to talk about this incredible vision that he has of jesus christ and all of these marvelous images that just mesmerize him but it begins by telling us that this occurred this vision occurred on a Sunday we know it was a Sunday because he uses the term the Lord's Day which was what the early Christians referred to as the first day of the week they would call it the Lord's Day that was the day of the resurrection and it also instantly became the day that Christians began assembling together in worship now a little bit about my background. I, I, I grew up in South Louisiana, born and raised just outside of New Orleans, and uh, grew up in the home of Frank and Donna Post, very, still very, very, very happily married, uh, very retired as well. Both of them, they're enjoying their retirement, trying to get them to come out here a little bit more often, uh, but things keep holding them back. But my mom and dad 
um, had three children. I have two siblings. I, I don't know if I've ever talked about my siblings. I have a 38-year-old uh, younger sister named Laura. She's got uh, a, a family, her, her husband, and uh, they have three kids. They all live in Pennsylvania. And I have a brother who's about to be 34 named Darren, and he and his wife and three children live still just outside of New Orleans. And together, we all grew up in a very strong Christian home. And the Post family had a regular rhythm of Sunday morning worship. Every Sunday morning, we didn't ask, we didn't question it, it's just what we did. We got up, we got ready, and we assembled with our fellow believers at our local church for worship. And uh, it's just what we did. I, I'm telling you, I would no more question, I would no more get up on a Sunday morning and question whether or not I was going to be in church that day any more than I would wake up on a Monday morning thinking, you know, maybe I just won't go to school today. No, that wasn't happening either. You know, um, I had no option. This is just what we did. It was decided before I was ever born. This was our rhythm. And my mom and dad, like all throughout their lives, like they never, they never had the mentality to ask themselves every weekend, eh, do I feel like going to church today? No, okay, I'll stay. That just never entered their minds. This is what we do. This is our rhythm. This is, we're followers of Jesus. And they figured, you know, we don't give Ryan the option of going to school. We make Ryan go to school every single day, Monday through Friday. Why? Because that's what he's going to need if he's going to be a productive citizen and be able to work and earn money to support his family one day. And that's a high priority that we have for him as parents. Well, even higher than that priority, they wanted me to have every opportunity to have my own thriving relationship with Jesus. That was extremely important to my mom and dad. Therefore, they knew, they had this deep embedded instinct that if that's going to be possible, then among the many things that are going to be needed, we're going to have to hand him a rhythm of weekly worship, assembling with the believers in worship every week. And so this is just what we did. And I've got to be honest with you, um, for much of my childhood, I didn't like that. I didn't enjoy all the time going to church. Sometimes I even resented it, especially during those, you know, late 80s and early 90s when I was forced to wear church clothes. And my great-grandmother was a seamstress, and so she would make clothes for me to wear to church. I'll never forget the Easter Sunday she made a pair of lime green slacks for me to wear on Easter Sunday. Nobody told her what color to make, so... <laughs> But, um, so I resented it, and, and I'll be honest with you, like, my church background wasn't perfect, just like no one's church background is perfect. All of our churches are flawed, and all of the people who teach classes and preach sermons are flawed people, and we don't always get it right. And so as a little boy, I was handed some ideas and some ways of thinking about God that I don't think were very healthy. So my church experience wasn't perfect. But I'll tell you this, if my mom and dad did not raise me in this weekly rhythm of worship, if, th if they did not model for me that this is of supreme importance, I can promise you I wouldn't be here doing what I'm doing right now. And so I just want to inspire, I want to encourage the moms and dads that are here right now, or maybe you're a future mom or dad, 
I just want to encourage you, without any hint of condemnation, one of the greatest gifts you can give your children, and I truly believe this, one of the greatest gifts you can give them is this practice that from their earliest recollection, what we do on Sunday is we assemble together with the saints in worship of our risen King and Savior. And this is what the earliest Christians did from the very beginning. Sunday was the sacred day for assembling together in worship. They would come together to worship. They would come together to pray. They would uh, receive instruction in the word. And they would share communion together on a weekly basis. And I want to stress to you that this practice of Sunday worship, it was immediate. It did not happen gradually. It happened suddenly right at the very beginning of the church. And when you consider that all of the earliest Christians were Jews, it makes it all the more astounding that, in other words, they made this shift from gathering together as our sacred day of worship on the seventh day, Saturday, from, su- from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, they made this shift from Saturday to all of a sudden now Sunday became their sacred day of worship. I don't know if we can enter into this, the, the, the revolutionary nature of this. You can understand that Sabbath observance was absolutely central to Jewish identity. There was nothing more foundational to what it means to be a Jew than Sabbath observance and circumcision. What would it take for a bunch, for for hundreds, for thousands of devout religious Jews to all of a sudden make this shift from Saturday being their sacred day of worship to now it's going to be Sunday we're going to gather together to worship. What would it take for them to do something like that? Nothing less than the resurrection of the dead. That they would make this seismic shift from Saturday as their day of worship. It had been in place for hundreds and hundreds of years, ingrained in their culture, and all of a sudden now they start gathering together on Sunday morning to worship Jesus That could only mean one thing, that resurrection has happened, that the kingdom of God has come, and that the dawn of God's new redemptive age has begun. And that's exactly what they believed, and that's why they assembled on Sundays. Now, you've got to understand, when the church began doing this 2,000 years ago, Sunday was a work day. Sunday was the beginning of the work week. It was an ordinary day. You know, you and I have the benefit of living in a culture that has adapted to the rhythm of Christian worship over the last few hundred years. We live in a society that has benefited from the triumph of Christianity in the Western world so that the whole week revolves around our sacred rhythms of worship if we choose to take advantage of it. But when the church first got started, Uh, Their their culture was not accommodating to their rhythm of worship. Sunday felt like our Monday. And they had jobs, just like they had to get up and go to work, just like everybody else. And it was very convenient. They had to get up very early to gather. Did you know that their their services, so to speak, began at like 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning on Sunday? You know, people talk about how, um, well, you know, we, we just need to be more like the early church. Oh, you think so? Join me tomorrow morning for worship at 4 o'clock. 
But it just shows you the depth of their commitments, that, that this is so important that we gather together as a public witness that our risen king is alive and we're going to worship him so that even though our culture does not adapt and accommodate our rhythm of worship, we're still going to make it the first thing we do every week, even if it means we got to get up at four in the morning. Wow. I want to show you a statement on the screen that I want you to remember. Calendar creates culture and calendar is an expression of culture. Just keep that up there for a few seconds. So in other words, if, if July 4th is just an ordinary day to you, then I would presume that maybe you're not originally from the United States of America because July 4th is uh, all of the things that happen. That's a unique expression of American culture that we would venerate July 4th as a holiday or holy day. If, if, um, if December 25th is just an ordinary day to you, then I would surmise that perhaps you're not from a part of the world that's been deeply influenced by Christianity. Perhaps you're from India, for example because that is a unique expression of Christian calendar. And the foundation of both Christian culture and calendar is Sunday morning. The saints gather to worship. I want to give you a historical example of why this is so important. Following the French Revolution, the French atheists began a new calendar called the French Republican Calendar. They understood, they, they, wanna, they said that we want to we change the culture of France. We want to change the culture, and they understood in order to do that, we need to change the calendar. And so they went to a 10-day week. Rather than having just the ordinary seven-day week, they, they went to a 10-day week, and they did it for one reason and one reason only. They wanted to erase from the memory of the people which day was Sunday. They felt like if we can shift to this calendar and stick with it long enough, eventually people will not know what day is Sunday. Because the French atheists had this instinct that Sunday, assembling together on Sunday with the saints for Christian worship, is absolutely foundational and necessary to the thriving of Christianity in our culture. And they were right. The problem is it didn't work. They tried it for 12 years, but still Sunday was so deeply ingrained in the French people that they did not lose track of which day was Sunday. So eventually they abandoned uh, that calendar after about 12 years. But I want you to remember this. To forget Sunday is thus related to forgetting Christianity. To abandon the rhythm of Weekly worship with the saints is eventually to abandon the formation of the Christian lifestyle in my family. Maybe not for you personally, but much more likely your children and your grandchildren. That's exactly what we're seeing right now in modern Europe today. In modern Europe, we see the phenomenon of hundreds and hundreds of these beautiful ancient cathedrals, and so many of them today have been converted to mosques because the Christians in Europe, or at least those who nominally call themselves Christians, just can't, they can't work up the energy anymore to gather together to worship on Sunday morning. And so the Muslims on Friday will pray to Allah in those same buildings. 
In fact, William Carey, you know, we got a William Carey quote on our beam in the chapel. Did you know that the same church that sent out William Carey to India in the 1700s to found the modern missionary movement is a mosque today? Because they just no longer have the energy. They can't be bothered to assemble together on Sunday, and so the churches become mosques. Now, listen, I mean, there, there are all kinds of reasons. I don't, I don't even necessarily want to take the time to get into all of the, the reasons why sometimes people abandon the rhythm of weekly worship. But I think so many of those reasons, typically the common denominator is oftentimes it's relational conflict. People in my church, I, I love Jesus, Ryan. I love Jesus. I love Jesus' teaching. I worship Jesus. But there are just some people at that church that get on my nerves. I can't stand this person. We fight all the time. We have conflict. And so I just don't want to be bothered with being around that person anymore. You know what the New Testament calls that? Opportunities for discipleship. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about abuse. Put that to the side. I'm talking about just ordinary relational conflict. Did you know the New Testament is filled with that? That's why we have so many letters in the New Testament. Because there was so much conflict in these early churches. That's why we have so many instructions on the New Testament that say things like this. Love one another. Forgive one another. Bear with one another. Be kind to one another. Because they couldn't get along. And it was opportunity for growth. It was opportunity to be formed in the way of Christ. The New Testament presupposes that you're going to have conflict. The New Testament wants you to have conflict. If you're a lone ranger locked up in your closet with no contact with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you will short-circuit your spiritual growth. We need one another, even the knuckleheads among us. Oh, so when we come together on Sunday in this ancient practice of the Christian faith, how do we do it? And what is our attitude? What is our motivation? Or you can just say it like this. Why do we begin our week differently than those who do not confess Christ? Why do we do this? Why do we have this practice of weekly worship? I'm going to give you four things and then we'll be done. And they'll be on the screen. Number one, we come together to give public witness to the resurrection of Christ. Now, we commemorate the resurrection of Christ annually in Easter. But we do so on a weekly basis when we worship on the first day of the week, the day of Christ's resurrection. It gives a public witness to our culture of the relevance of Christ and his resurrection to the world today. Now, is there more to our public witness than just simply our weekly attendance and worship? Of course there is, but it's never less than that. And I just think of the people around here in Burbank who don't confess Christ and they're being formed by the, the secular consumeristic spirit of our age. And as they're driving around on Sunday morning, wherever they're going, maybe they're going to Ralph's, maybe they're going to Costco, maybe they're going to a restaurant, my dream is that they pass church after church after church with packed parking lots and cars encircled around the blocks with Christians who gathered together as a public witness to our risen king and his relevance to the world today. 
we give public witness to the resurrection of Christ in our engagement in weekly communal worship. Number two, we come together to establish sacred Christian rhythm in our lives. Rhythm is health. There are rhythms to your heartbeats. There's a rhythm to your breath. There's a rhythm to your nervous system. Everything that is healthy has rhythm and order and balance and harmony. Rhythm is health. And we establish sacred rhythm in our life by sanctifying time. And this rhythm has an emphasis. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So that that day stands out. Did you know the first thing in the Bible, as you're reading the Bible from cover to cover, the first thing in the Bible that God sanctifies is a day. He sanctifies time. That's the first thing that God calls holy is a day of the week. And he gives this sacred rhythm to his people and says, live by this rhythm. And the Jews practice this rhythm and continue to practice this rhythm to this day. But when the Christians began to give public witness to the resurrection of Christ, they continued the rhythm, but they started it on the first day of the week, the day of Easter. But they continued in this sacred rhythm. It was their sacred day of worship. Without sacred rhythm, you flatline. And I've been in vocational ministry now for about almost 20 years. And I've been a lead pastor for about 10 years. And so I've seen enough of church life to know that, and I could tell you story after story of, of individuals or families who eventually they got out of this rhythm of public worship. And all of a sudden now it's like hit and miss. You might see them once a month, might see them here and there. And I'll tell you almost, just pretty much invariably, the common denominator is uh, all of a sudden you start seeing a lack of vibrancy in their walk with the Lord. A lack of passion for the Lord. Sunday worship is an aid that keeps this rhythm in our lives. If you don't have this weekly rhythm of public worship together with your brothers and sisters, at best, you'll be a private Christian but you won't become the kind of Christian that can be a catalyst for transformation in our culture. Strong statement, but I stand by it. Number three, we come together to be intentional in our worship of Christ. Every service, we begin with this confession of worship and we say it every week. And part of that confession is we are not consumers we are worshipers we are not here to be entertained we're here to encounter the sacred i want you to say that every time you walk through these doors because we are immersed in a culture of consumerism like every moment of every day the world around us treats you like a consumer we're baptized in, into consumerism and we come up out of the water saying what's in it for me and it's how we learn to evaluate everything. And if we're not careful, we bring that mentality into a church service. So we walk out of here thinking, thinking questions like, um, how do I feel about the service today? Did I get anything out of it? Did I, did I like the song selections? 
that they use? Did they sing enough hymns? Or did they sing enough modern cutting-edge songs that have been written in the last 30 minutes? Um, did I like the pastor's sermon or not? These are consumeristic questions. And this is the mentality you, we've got to be saved from. Christ wants to save you out of that way of thinking. You are not a consumer. You are a worshiper. The question is, did I intentionally worship Christ today? That's your primary purpose for being here. So rather than walking out thinking, what, what's in it for me? We walk out of, if you're going to evaluate the service, which maybe you, you shouldn't even do in the first place, but if you insist on evaluating the service, maybe you ought to think more like this. Did I intentionally worship Jesus today? Was I fully active and present in the moment during the service? Whenever we were singing, was I engaged? When we were praying, was I present in the moment? Whenever the, the word was going forth, was I grabbing hold of it? Was I active and engaged? And then finally, the fourth thing. Band, you can go ahead and come forward. The fi final thing, number four, is we come together to be spiritually formed in the Christian faith. I believe this. I know I've been making some strong statements here tonight, but I, listen, if you're not going to be formed by the Christian faith, the secular culture will form you. And out of all of these practices that we're going to be talking about in the series, we've talked about prayer, we've talked about scripture, we're going to talk about three more uh, after this weekend, but out of all of these practices that we're going to have dealt with in this series, there is a sense in which what I'm talking about tonight may be the most important one, and I mean it this way. Commu the rhythm of communal worship may be the most foundational practice because if you will adopt this rhythmic practice of communal worship every week, there's a much higher likelihood that these other practices will be assimilated into your life as well to some degree. But if you get out of the rhythm of communal worship, there's a much higher likelihood that these other practices will fade out of your life. You've been raised in a very individualistic, privatized environment where you've been taught a lie. And the lie is that faith is primarily an individual, privatized matter that I should keep to myself. And we think of our own salvation that way so that personal Savior somehow morphs into private Savior. It's, it's just me and my personal walk with Jesus. Nobody else is involved. It's just me and Jesus. That does not resemble the Christianity of the New Testament. When you were baptized, you were baptized into a community of people. And we belong to one another. And we need one another more than you realize it. And this community has a 2,000-year-old practice of gathering together on a Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, to worship, to pray, to receive the Word, to share communion. And all of these practices flow out of that. So is there more to being a Christian than gathering with our brothers and sisters for worship on a Sunday morning? Is there more to being a Christian than that? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's much more than that. But it's never less than that. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.